Welcome to another session of Breakthrough Chronicles. And absolutely thrilled as I was with my first guest to welcome on another uh, longtime colleague, but more importantly, a longtime friend who yeah, just so happens to be in the Hall of Fame, talking about none other than my son's broadcast partner, Ann Myers Drysdale. Annie, how are you today? I'm great, Kevin. I'm so happy to be talking with you. Well, thrilled that you could join us here and you know, as I was, you know, you and I have worked together for so very long and there's so much I know about what you've accomplished in your career. But when you like print it off and you start reading all of the accomplishments and accolades, I I continue to be blown away. And sometimes we forget about that. But I thought it was kind of fitting because multiple times throughout reading the notes in preparing for the show, First woman this, first woman to do that, first woman. So fittingly, you are the first woman to join us here and Breakthrough Chronicles. So we say welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That's an honor. Well, thrilled to have you. And, you know, so many wonderful stories, so many wonderful people that you have encountered uh, throughout your illustrious playing career and broadcast career. And, you know, I, I started thinking, when you look at all the people that you have come in contact with throughout your life, it all goes back to really kind of one thing, if we were to like really boil it down. And it's this, this, this simple object, this round ball, this basketball took you to places that I'm sure you never would have imagined as let's say 11 year old Ann Myers Drysdale. When, when you stop and think about the the doors that were opened with this key that's essentially what it was yeah. uh, just just talk about those impressions throughout the years and how the simple game of basketball afforded you all the moments that you've been able to have boy that that's a question that is loaded <laughs> it's so much you're going back to as a child, I have five brothers and five sisters. My dad played basketball at Marquette. So certainly basketball was around our family and, and sports was around our family. I have an older sister, Patty, that was eight years older than I was. And so she was already opening doors for me. And I could see that women were playing sports. Um, I was sandwiched between two boys, my brother David, and my brother Jeff, and uh, always playing with them uh, to know that in fifth and sixth grade in elementary school that my parents fought for me to play on the boys' after-school sports program, to go through the school district and the principal and the teachers, uh, not understanding as a 10, 11, 12-year-old that what that was all about. Um, you know, the, basketball was not really a sport that was afforded to girls at that time in the sense of organized sports. So I ran track and had a dream of going to the Olympics like Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias after reading a book on her as a high jumper and a track athlete went to the 72 um, Junior Olympics as a high jumper and pentathlete. And uh, who knew that I would go to UCLA um, and then meet somebody like John Wooden. But, you know, the, the coaches from junior high and high school and even elementary school, the teachers that were impactful for where I was going. Um, and then to play USA basketball, uh, to be teammates with so many wonderful women and uh, have so many unbelievable coaches. Um, Billy Moore, who was my uh, not only Olympic coach, but my coach at UCLA my senior year when we won the championship, had coached my sister Patty at Fullerton, 
uh, to a championships. And just all the people that I met uh, traveling the world, going to Montreal for the 76 Olympics, my dream coming true, representing our country, um, going to UCLA with my brother David and watching him win a, two national titles with Coach Wooden. And then we would win one uh, my senior year. And I was on the track team that won a national championship at UCLA and played several sports there. But you know, sports has just been so wonderful. And now being in broadcasting almost 45 years and having the opportunity to work with you and so many other great people here with the organization, the Suns and Mercury organization, um, you know, the 45 years is just, who would have thought that I'd be in this business? Because I wouldn't say two words to anybody uh, right. being in that big a family of 11 children. So, um, you know, I'm just so grateful for the, not only the people that I've met, but presidents, uh, entertainers, singers, uh, other athletes, um, but people from all walks of life. And, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed in so many ways. You know, I, I started thinking, too, that like if, if we had the opportunity to go through your contact list on your phone, I think we would all be like, what you have? <laughs> but, but go back to that that family life. As you mentioned, you were the sixth of 11 kids and i gotta believe it was a little bit like organized chaos in the in the myers household right but but how did that how did that loving chaos because clearly that's what it was with parents who were you know looking and willing to kind of stand up and make sure you got what you wanted and and what you needed but how much of that that loving controlled chaos helped prepare you for the future yeah. I, our dad was on the road a lot. You were for Sears and uh, they're from Milwaukee, my mom and dad. My dad was born in Chicago, but uh, they were from Milwaukee, played at Marquette. Then when they got married in 46, they moved out to Southern California in San Diego. The first six of us were born there. And then he got a job with Sears and moved back out to Chicago. We were there eight, nine years from 55 to 64 and moved back out to Southern California where three more were born out there. And uh, was it three or two? I can't remember. <laughs> three. And uh, but my mom, you know, she was stable. She was, you know, kept us all together. She was the one that was making all the meals and, and giving us chores and so forth. And uh, we had a routine and what we were doing, um, you know, how she did it was amazing. Uh, I don't I don't know how she did it, but she had a lot of help. My sister, Patty, who was the oldest, um, she was like another mother to us. And uh you know, I think she was working by the time she was age 13 and not just only taking care of us, but, you know, helping mom out in so many different ways. And uh, we were all helping out and, and knew that we had to work as a team, as a family. And so, uh, you know, I give all credit to my mom and my dad to be so supportive of their daughters playing sports as much as their sons were playing sports. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I mean, just having that discipline, uh, that devotion to family and understanding what teamwork meant and how to be successful that way uh, certainly has carried me throughout so many different aspects of my life. And was it pretty much a given, again, with a large family, you had a chance to see those before you, but did did everybody in the family compete in sports? And so it just it was just second nature to you. Is that kind of how you fell in love with competition in general? I, you know, that's a great question because I don't think I've been asked that that way. And, uh, Certainly, I, I mean, starting from the top, it was almost like three separate families, the big kids, the middle kids. <laughs> right. And uh, certainly that my older sister, Patty, as I said, was playing volleyball, softball, basketball. She played pro softball and 
My brother Tom played high school football, who was a tremendous football player. My brother Mark played with him in high school, and, and he played basketball too, but went on to Cal and played on a football scholarship. Uh, my sister Kathy played high school sports. Uh, my brother David, you know, so the hard part now, you're following somebody. And as successful as my brother David was, I was Dave Meyer's little sister. Yeah. And David was Mark Meyer's little brother. Patty Meyer's, you know, was the oldest, and we were all the little sisters and brothers. Um, and then so after me, my brother Jeff came. And so there was a lot of pressure on him following in the footsteps of David and me, and especially a, a girl. Uh, then my sister Susie swam, but wasn't as, you know, uh, did singing and so forth. My sister Colleen played sports. Uh, my sister Kelly went to Pepperdine on a basketball scholarship. My brother Bobby played tennis and, and basketball. So we all played high school sports, uh, not knowing what it was going. You know, did, we played for the fun of it. We didn't play to get a scholarship. And certainly our parents were not at every event. And certainly we were not playing every weekend. Um, you know, like you have to be in sports today and club sports. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's so difficult on, on parents today. Uh, and even on the, the child that's playing their sport, no matter what it is. But right. uh, sports was a great outlet. It was something that um, not only taught us so many things that sports teaches you about leadership, about, you know, uh, failure, about winning, about, you know, so many different things. And uh, but I was just fortunate enough, like so many others in my family, were able to take it to another level. Yeah, you 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 mentioned it, and we see it all the time um, on on so many different uh, examples. But how sports, you know, creates not only this vehicle but this this portal for life lessons that that you can apply once you stop competing. And and look, in in many ways, you and I as broadcasters probably still go back and draw on some of those sports experiences, right? Yeah, it's a bond. I mean, you have to learn. People don't understand in broadcast. I've been so lucky, especially with you guys. And, and if you don't work as a team, as broadcasters, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera, the guys in the truck and behind the cameras and so forth and everybody, we work as one. And if you get one or two guys that just don't mesh, uh, it makes it difficult, uh, just even in, in the end that we work. But, yeah, we all go back to sports. Um but, you know, it wasn't whether we were playing kick the can, hide and seek, board games, card games. We were all very competitive and uh, we wanted to win. I mean, that was, <laughs> you know, ingrained in us, as you would ask in the question before about being in a big family. You just felt that like you had to compete and uh, maybe be better than the next person. But uh, certainly competing and, and uh, you know, it, it's a thrill. I mean, you want to be excellent. You want to be the best that you can be. And, uh, and sports brings that out. As you noted, you competed in, in several sports during high school, all at, at, at a very high level, <clears throat> winning championships, uh, track and field, also a, a big sport for you. When did it become clear to you or was it just through your a your level of, I don't know if dominance is the right word at that age or level of excellence that basketball was going to be the vehicle to take you to those next steps? You know, I, as a child, you know, I was very shy and very insecure. Uh, I was held back in second grade. We, I was in six different elementary schools because we moved a little bit. And um, so we went to the Catholic schools, the, um, went to the public schools. And so I really struggled being out in, away from my mom. I was really a mama's girl. And uh, so as I got older, 
um, sports was just that great outlet because I knew I was accepted at home playing sports with my brothers and, and my sisters, but then got into school and teachers would say, well, that's not ladylike. Um, if I had a race against a boy, uh, he said, no, I really beat you, didn't I? You know, and you didn't understand really gender and all that, those things that were going on. So for me to be able to, you know, take that where I was getting attention from my parents as our other siblings were, uh, that if you played sports and you did well, then you know, your mom and dad gave you a pat on the back kind of thing. So it was a recognition thing, uh, more so than I loved this, and, uh, but I did love it. And I loved competing and I was very intense. And a lot of people said I was so different on the field or on the court compared to when I got off the court because I wouldn't say two words to you or look <laughs> you in the eye. And I was one of the worst interviews uh, I literally would shake my head yes and no, not even just say yes or no, you shake my head. And so it was when I got to UCLA, it was a little bit better because my brother David was there. But um, I didn't understand the media or why I had to talk to somebody asking me these silly questions, I thought, uh, because when you're so young and immature, you just and it is. But it's so different today because now by the time you're born, you have a camera in your face. Right. And so. I mean, you know, in my day, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, a lot of athletes really struggled to um, answer questions because they'd never been exposed to being interviewed. And that's not why they played sports to speak. Right. Um, but now sports is such a platform for athletes. And uh, so they've got a camera because of YouTube and the Internet and uh, podcasts and, and so many ways to express themselves. Uh, there are the ability to not only just talk about themselves or talk about the game that they love, but they have so many other issues that they can talk about. You mentioned your, your big brother playing for the legend, John Wooden. You, of course, there at the UCLA women's basketball program. But what, what were you able to glean in your time around John Wooden? And obviously some of that coming through osmosis, just being around your brother. But how impactful those lessons were watching both your brother and maybe the conversations that you were fortunate enough to have with, uh, with the legend himself and John Wooden. Well, I go back to high school and, and uh, I was a freshman when he was a senior in high school and they won CIF 2A and he was, he was the uh, California State Player of the Year and, and, um, and he gets a scholarship and he wasn't recruited highly, um, but he goes to UCLA and so we, we is, we're still in high school and the youngsters, we're all going to watch him play on the freshman team and the sophomore year and so forth. So my mom is making that drive up there and, and we're getting to watch him play. It was just such an exciting time back in the early 70s as it was in the late 60s for UCLA basketball. Um, I was recruited, David was rooming with a, a guy named Kenny Washington and Kenny had played for Coach Wood and I'll call him Papa, which I did. Uh, he played for Papa in the 64-65 championship teams. And um, so he was going to be the women's coach in my freshman year. So David and Kenny came home one weekend for a barbecue, which we hosted a lot of barbecues for family and, and friends of all our, our friends and so forth. So um, they basically came home and said, would you like to go to UCLA and play basketball? And I said, okay. <laughs> sure, sure, why not? Sure. I had no idea where I was going to go to college. And, you know, the, the really thought was that I'd go to Fullerton, which was only 15 minutes away, and play for Billy Moore, which my sister Patty did. And lo and behold, Billy would be, not only be my Olympic coach, 
but then would come to UCLA and, and play uh, my senior year when we won the championship. But, you know, going to UCLA and, and uh, Coach Wooden and Gary Cunningham and, and Jim Bush and, and uh, just the, the coaches there, the football coaches and everybody kind of taking me under their wing because the women's program really had not been developed yet. And uh, my freshman year, the, the uh, actually the office for the women's department was um, like three offices underground over at the, the um, men's gym. And then my sophomore year, it was a trailer behind the women's gym. And uh, the green trailer, that was the women's office. It had like two offices in the trailer. So I was at the men's um, athletic department a lot and uh, with Coach Cunningham, with Coach uh, Wooden. And, uh, but Papa always had his door open. I'd go in there and just hang out and, and they were able to get my, my classes. Um, you know, I was Dave Meyer's little sister and I was just a part of the program. And so uh, I was just really taken under the wing. And, you know, all the guys treated me like a little sister. And I remember Marcus Johnson saying, you know, none of us could date you because we're all intimidated that David would beat us up. <laughs> oh, great. <Yeah. laughs> you know, when you when you think back on that, Annie, and I don't know if you recognize it at the time, but you talked about how years earlier, how shy you were. Could could you feel yourself kind of becoming this this new person, so to speak? You know, kind of coming out on your own in terms of that personality and you know sharing moments and, and stories like that. Well, it took me a while. My senior year in high school, I was going to go play on the boys' basketball team I, th during the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. I played on the boys' varsity summer league team. So a lot of comments being made, and uh, I was going to play during the school year. And uh, I had a lot of people talk me out of it. So, But that opened up the door for me to play USA basketball. And that really was, you know, I should say the first time I really traveled on my own with a team. But I had played AAU basketball with my sister when I turned 13 or 14. So we went to Gallup, New Mexico, and, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, where the AAU basketball uh, tournaments were. So I was, But I was traveling with my sister and and friends on those AAU teams. Um, so my senior year in high school, making that USA team was the first time I had traveled. We didn't travel out of the country, but we traveled within the states. And so my roommates and teammates were very important to me and getting to know what this was all about. So my freshman year, uh, we only traveled by bus and car. Uh, our conference was Northridge, UCLA, SC, San Diego State, Fullerton, and San Diego State. So we didn't have any Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 team, you know, conferences. Right. So everything was driven to. And so, you know, the first time we traveled at UCLA was my senior year, and we went back to New York, Maryland, and North Carolina. Um, and that was the first time we were on an airplane traveling somewhere to play uh, another team. But, um, you know, watching David play and being taken under the wing of the men's, you know, athletic department, basically, uh, there was a safety valve there. And there was a lot of interviews early on in my freshman year because David and I were a human interest story. You know, we were brother-sister act. And he was an All-American, I was an All-American. Um, you know, so the media really took off on that. And David had a, a wonderful senior year. He was the number two pick in the NBA and number one with the Lakers. And uh, um, I thought he was player of the year. I think in some, you know, uh, periodicals he was uh but they gave it to david thompson i think who nc state won it i think the year before right but, um 
you know, so being exposed to a big uh, university was very difficult too. I was home every weekend. I drove home every weekend, like 45 minutes to be with my mom. I mean, it was really hard. Still a mama's girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Staying in the dorm was not uh, easy for me. And uh, so then I stayed my sophomore and junior year with one of uh, my teammates and her family. And then my junior year, I stayed with other friends. And then uh, my senior year, I stayed with my sister, Kathy, who was living out there at the time. So, you know, everything was like family and teammates and so forth. And everybody kind of took me under their wing and I was able to mature a little bit. My sophomore year, well, my freshman year, so I go from USA Basketball in 74, my senior year in high school, 75 to UCLA in the Pan Am team, which we go to the world championships. And now I'm traveling out of the country and going to Mexico and Colombia. And um, then in 76, we go to the Montreal Olympics. And, you know, so now I'm traveling, right. not just staying at UCLA. And so I'm expanding by all those travels. Yeah, you talked about uh, competing against the the boys, and I, I suppose you know, as we said, you know, you, you were competing on the on the regular basis with the large family that you had. But little did you know that that would lay the groundwork for uh, for another landmark moment for you years later. And we'll we'll get into that. But you know, you you touched on something that I think people still tend to forget uh though it's been in the news you know over the last few years but title nine and you were in the early days of of title nine and you know and looking back like billy jean king playing bobby riggs defeating him in the the battle of the sexes what were your initial feelings when you learn about title nine and obviously you couldn't have imagined that the role that you would play in 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 the way that it's kind of shaped and viewed, right? No, you're absolutely right, uh, Carrie, because in 72, I was in high school and none of us really knew or understood what Title IX was. And it was it had nothing to do with sports, uh, even though it's become the calling card for women in sports. And I would say the majority of universities, of colleges, um, high schools, junior highs are not in compliance to this day over 50 years of Title IX. But uh, I saw women playing sports, as I said, my sister Patty and all those women that were playing softball and basketball and volleyball, um, there were women playing. And so I get a little frustrated, even today when I hear young girls or their mothers saying, well, we didn't have that opportunity. I think everybody did have an opportunity, you had to find it. Right. And uh, certainly you didn't have the scholarship opportunity. And I walked into it, like I said, David and Kenny came home and said, want a scholarship? And I said, okay. <laughs> And I uh, was not, you know, 200 letters sent to me and that kind of thing. But um, so grateful for the timing. Uh, certainly Billie Jean King, you know, in 73 playing Bobby Riggs, not opened up the doors for just women in sports and tennis, but, you know, women in general. Uh, that was huge. And Billie Jean King is a dear friend and, and still an icon in what she has accomplished and, and continues to open doors every day. But, um, you know, even before that, uh, because the Olympics were a dream of mine, seeing Wilma Rudolph and Wyomi Atias became huge role models for me, as Babe Diedrichsen had, and then they became friends. Um, meeting women in sports from the 60s and the 70s was not always easy. Uh, but then when the Women's Sports Foundation started in 74, which Billie Jean King and Donna Dave Aronin and Chris Everett started, uh, all these women athletes who you might have heard about, but now we get to go meet each other and be involved with this foundation and dinner uh, that really, really honored women athletes of that time and still is going on today. 
So there's a lot of things, the Title IX, the Women's Sports Foundation, 1975 for me, the first to receive a full athletic scholarship at UCLA, and then to go on from there. Um, the first being on the Olympic team in 1976 that they had women's basketball in the Olympics. Um, as a matter of fact, this next week coming up, Naismith is honoring our team uh, to be get inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, the 1976 women's Olympic team. So, you know, that's a thrill to be able to share, share that with our teammates, even though we've lost our coaches and, and several other teammates. But uh, what an honor for all of us. And, uh, you know, just to be a part of history with so many other people that have opened the doors for so many others. Yeah, and, and again, a reminder, you know, for, for some of our viewers and listeners, you know, this this all came clearly before social media, before cell phones, and, and women's sports, really, when you think back to 73, when uh, that match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, one of the few times that women's sport, if you want to call it that, was televised. And so it speaks to the, the level of importance that, that mentorship uh, played in, in your life and the lives of those other women that you you talked about it and the need here we are 50 plus years later to continue to carry that on, correct? It is, it is about exposure because you think about, you know, my dream to go to the Olympics um, and seeing women, what was it, 64, 68, that you're finally seeing women in the Olympics. In the Olympics, you had to be an amateur athlete at the time and and uh, certainly that was rare. Peggy Fleming in the Winter Games was probably the biggest name uh, coming out of that. Or Kathy Rigby with, um, with gymnastics. Uh, Donna De Verona was swimming. Uh, she was the youngest swimmer to be in the Olympics, but she had nowhere to go afterwards. Billie Jean talks about her tennis. She went to Cal State LA growing up in Long Beach and said that she had to get a job and go to class. And across town, you had Stan Smith at USC and Arthur Ashe at UCLA. They were on scholarship. All they did had to do was really worry about tennis, and Billie Jean could not do that. And so she's, you know, tremendous as far as what happened with that match with uh, Bobby Riggs. And for her to win uh, certainly was even more powerful than what people thought. And uh, so, you know, for me, I never thought about what I was doing. I just, these doors kept opening for me, Kevin, and you just kind of walked through and said, okay, I'll do it. And so in 78, when we won the championship, I was hoping to go to the 1980 Olympics and was training for that, Was went to the world championships, was captain of the team, and uh, we were going to Pan Am Games and World University Games. We went to the Spartacate Games. So, again, I'm traveling all over the world representing our country, getting ready for the 1980 Olympics, and my brother David already was in the NBA. I knew a lot of guys in the NBA. Uh, during my time at UCLA, guys would come to Poly Pavilion or the men's gym where we play pickup games. I was always playing pickup games. Uh, whether Wilt Chamberlain was out there or Mark Eaton or Marcus Johnson and, you know, so many guys from the NBA that would come play. Um, and my, my thing was, too, is for, I think, two years, I played uh, racquetball with, with Will Chamberlain, who would beat my butt. And uh, he knew how competitive I was, but he, he was such a natural athlete, too. But he would come and support our games. And, uh, but, but going back to 1979, getting ready for the Olympics. And then I get a call from the new owner of the Indiana Pacers. Hey, how would you like to try out? And I was like, going, what? You know, and I'm, I'm working to go to the Olympics again. And uh, certainly, and also I had to get my degree at UCLA. I had two extra quarters because I'd never taken a full load and also was gone during the summer representing USA basketball. And so I had to go two extra quarters and was also playing USA basketball. 
And then I got this call and, and uh, to me it was an opportunity of a lifetime because I looked back from high school and I had all, five years before, I had all these people talk me out of it. My whole life I'd been playing the game of basketball, but I wasn't gonna let people talk me out of it this time. And going back to those experiences, you know, in high school, the the family experiences playing against your brother, how much then, as you look back, how much did that ready and prepare you for not looking at it like, oh, I'm playing the men. It's like I'm playing another level. I'm playing, have an opportunity to play pro basketball and all those experiences and how that helped shape your mind going in, because clearly at that time there had to have been a, a pretty significant amount of intimidation, if you will, that this woman was going to come in here and maybe take the roster spot of somebody. Yeah. It's all a process, isn't it? As we grow up and all the, the lessons we learn. And so as, as a young girl going to the playgrounds with my brothers and playing with his friends, and then if I didn't get picked or if I got knocked to the ground or something, I'd come home, they said, and be crying to my mom and dad that, you know, so-and-so did this. And, <laughs> and so they got on me and said, if you keep tattling to mom and dad, you're not coming back and playing anymore. And so, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I better pull up my, you know, bootstraps here. And uh, so, you know, just going down there and, and interacting and, and trying to get yourself into a game and, and in uh, playing with my brother and so forth and, and having him beat me um, and, and being in those situations. So this was just something natural that I did. I mean, whether I was playing at recess football uh, or playing over the line or, or something, I was always playing with the boys. So it was not that big a deal because David, even though he may not have liked it early on that I ta tagged along with him, but his friends always accepted me. It's like, oh yeah, Annie, come on the team, you know, whatever sport we were playing or we were in the backyard in the pool playing games and so forth. And, you know, I was just always the little sister being accepted. They may not have liked it all the time, but I think gradually they knew I was going to hang with them. And so all those different lessons, I think, in life, whether, you know, being teased and uh, going up against guys, you know, didn't want to be beaten by a girl um, and they got, you know, teased per se, but uh, just the opportunities to continue to be on the court and to, and no matter what happened, to, to come back again, not willing to sit down and say, well, you know, I'm not good enough or they're making fun of me and um, just be able to have the courage, the courage to, to go back and no matter what the situation was. And uh, certainly what happened in high school, uh, now I get the opportunity to do something like this again and to have the courage to do it. A lot of people were against it. Uh, David was supportive, but he was tentative about it because he knew what the NBA life was like. But what people don't understand, um, going through the tryout, it was a three-day tryout, the free agent rookie camp, completely different than it is today. A lot right. more draft picks also back then. And um, so I was signed as a free agent. I was not drafted. And the thing was, we had two-a-days, and I went through the three-day two-a-days. I thought I should have gone further, but... Uh, Bob Leonard, Slick Leonard was the coach, and it was very difficult for him to accept what was going on. He came out to California several times to talk me out of it. Uh, this was something unusual. How dare I kind of thing, and how dare his new owner do this? Uh, whether media exposure was the, the reason why he had me there, that's not why I was there. And um, again, an opportunity of a lifetime that most men don't get. And even if you look at my personal service contract, getting paid $50,000, 
back in 1979. Where else was I going to make, even getting a college degree, make that right. kind of money at 50000 And yet the the minimum salary in the NBA still was 140000 So I still wasn't getting paid equal pay. <laughs> but and it's I interesting. I've been the number one draft pick in the WBL. Right. Women's Pro League. And I, that was the first league, and I was the number one draft pick. And I chose not to go because I wanted to be amateur for the 80 Olympics. And uh, so then when that fell through and the Pacers situation uh, occurred, I went with that. But then after being with the Pacers and being cut um, and working in the front office, but gave me the opportunity to get into broadcasting, probably the first woman to broadcast in the NBA, um, I was 24 and I wanted to play. So they released me from my contract. I didn't get paid my whole salary. And I went into the WNBA, uh, the WBL. Well, it, it, it's clear you made an impact in ways that may not have shown at the moment. But I, I think your <clears throat> your choice to do that uh, speaks volumes. Did going into that tryout, did you did you reach? I mean, because interesting, seven years removed from Billie Jean's foray against Bobby Riggs, did you reach out to her for any? advice who who did you lean on going in kind of knowing that look the the deck was stacked against you but your mentality and approach even leading into it uh said this is going to be a win for me regardless well i knew a lot of guys in the nba and number one was my brother david my brother david and my brother mark my brother mark was an attorney wasn't you know he was a personal injury attorney so he handled my contract so David, Mark, and my family. My family was the closest, but um, two other people. One, one was Julian Simpson, who was my roommate and teammate on the 76 Olympic team. We, you know, friends for life. And uh, so I ran it by her. And the other one was Julius, Julius Irving. Julius had become like a brother. I used to play in a, a, a charity um, celebrity golf, uh, golf tournament. I had golf tournaments, but uh, a <laughs> celebrity tennis tournament. And uh, I had played tennis in high school and tried out at UCLA. And so there was a celebrity tennis tournament in Vegas every year that we went to. And so, you know, Calvin Murphy was there. Julius was there. Franco Harris, Walter Payton, uh, and about a handful of women. And Wilma Rudolph was there and Susie Chaffee and uh, Donna De Verona. So um, it was a tennis tournament. And so Julius and his wife, Turk, had become very dear friends with them and uh, Dana and Franco Harris and uh, so Julius was the other one that I called, uh, again, he was a little apprehensive, but as I started to mention that, you know, I wasn't going to play 40, 35, 25 minutes. I was going to be on the bench. Right. Um, but the, the hard part was going to be not playing in my opinion, because I was, I, I'd get 30 seconds. I'd get a minute here or there, which even today because in my day, it was, what, 11 on a roster at that time? It wasn't even 12. It was 11 right. on a roster. And now you can have 15 on a roster. Well, how deep does the NBA go to their 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th guy, even their 10th guy? And so if you average it out 82 games, I might get 40 minutes out of, out of an 82-game schedule. But the biggest thing was going to be, what the media was going to say, what the players were going to say, what other people in or other organizations were going to say. You know, if you're on the bench, you know, well, where are you going to shower? Well, if you use common sense, because we have a lot of male coaches in women's sports, where are you going to shower? 
Well, the men coaches are outside until the women are done showering. And the same thing on, you know, the other side. Or you go back to the hotel and you take a shower. Right. No, I mean, it's just common sense stuff. But in saying that, it felt like, you know, where is this going? There's no way. Um, If you had a late game on the road, if you're in, you know, Chicago, let's say, or in Philadelphia, and uh, it's a late game and guys go out to eat and you want to go join them to go eat, what are the wives going to say? What are the girlfriends are going to say? It just, you know, it's more of a social issue about the things people saying, just like in high school. And uh, I think that would have been the most difficult thing, not playing, because my playing time probably would not have been, you know, I'm not going to be starting. I'm not going to be sixth, seventh, eighth man out there. Yeah, all the things that people don't really understand yet seem to make the biggest deal about. And what what did Alvin Gentry say when he was the coach for the Suns? Oh, I'd love to have Diana Trossi in the playoffs. (laughs) Right. There's probably certain women that could be on a team and help. Now, are they going to play 40, you know, 35 minutes? Probably not. But right. if you had a Diana Trossi or a Candace Parker or somebody that can handle the ball, they're always going to be a guard. And I know that Mark Cuban came out and said, well, I'm going to draft um, Brittany Griner. Well, Brittany Griner is going to have a tough time in the NBA because at 6'9", she's probably a, a three or a four. And in the women's game, Brittany is not. Right. Let's fast forward to 1986. Uh, fell in love with this gentleman named Don Drysdale. You get married. T- take us back to those those early moments with Don, and little little did you know that the, the magic and the beautiful family that you two would create. Thank you. Um, and it has and was a beautiful time. Um, so I, after signing with the Pacers. And uh, being with them, I was being offered a lot of different things to go speak and so forth. And and while I was there, I was offered to compete in something called the Women's Superstars. And uh, even though I was um, asked to compete, which I committed to, uh, I left the Pacers and joined the New Jersey Gems. My rights from the Houston Angels had been traded to the Gems. And so I went to go play in the WBL, uh, which was the second year of the league and played in the league and but during that time we had a break and so i went down to the bahamas to compete in the superstars and but i'd been playing basketball and you could take like your wall as white as your wall is behind you that's how white i was playing uh, (laughs) basketball indoors and so you go to the bahamas and compete in seven out of ten sports in that hot sun um i ended up coming in fourth and uh, i was not happy about it but my mom came with me, and my brother Mark and his wife Franny happened to be down in that area in Miami, so they flew over for it. And uh, Bob Euchre and Don Drysdale were the announcers for ABC. Well, I knew Bob Euchre because he'd been doing those beer commercials, and my mom was from Milwaukee. <laughs> right. And, uh, even growing up in L.A., we had heard the name Drysdale, but we never watched baseball. We were always out playing sports, and, you know, who were the Dodgers, you know? And uh, <laughs> even though growing up in Southern California, it was Drysdale and Koufax all the time. And um, so I had, uh, my baggage had been lost. And so we went into the wardrobe room, my mom and I, and uh, I thought Don was Don Meredith, because that was the only one that I really known on watching <laughs> football. And uh, so hearing backstories though from Yuki saying that uh, for whatever reason, I caught the eye of Donnie and, uh, so um, 
I had uh, competed in the Superstars and came in fourth. And that night, ABC was having a, a you know, a, a last dinner and so forth. And, and we were invited to it, my mom and I. And so we go and I'm still so naive because I don't know what's going on. And I'm upset because I've come in fourth. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, so mom and I have a, uh, after dinner, we meet with Don and, and Yuki and, and so they're just shooting the breeze and everything and telling stories and laughing and, and so forth. And, um, I stay over an extra night. I'm asked to stay over cause I've got a few extra days before I have to be back in New Jersey for a game. And Don asks me to go out to dinner one-on-one. And at that dinner, he asked me, what would you do if I asked you to marry me? And I'm like, well, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> You're not the Donnie I thought you were. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And plus, aren't you married? You know, so it was a very difficult situation. I was so flattered um, that he would ask me to dinner and have a one-on-one conversation because, you know, I dated a little bit in, in college, not much, but, you know, I was so focused on my sports and uh, right. certainly knew a lot of guys in college and in high school, but um, never really dated. Um, but this guy was, you know, yes, he was older than I was, but, uh, he wasn't intimidated by me. And I guess he wasn't, um, intimidated by the fact that I didn't really know who he was, you know, and I, I'm sure that that, uh, flattered him because so many people do know who he is and his name and he's great looking and, uh, what he did for the game of baseball and, and a top broadcaster and so forth. So that's kind of where it started. And then he would call and, um, we would talk and we'd t- just talk about sports. We'd talk about life and his thoughts about different issues and so forth. But, you know, how my games were and what I was doing to stay in shape. And, and he'd talk about his baseball days, and that kind of thing. And then he convinced me to go to broadcasting school. And uh, I had taken some broadcasting classes at UCLA and actually had broadcasted some UCLA men's games while I was at UCLA in 79. And that was really the start of it um, with broadcasting. And then meeting somebody like him and then being exposed to somebody like Dick Enberg and Al Michaels and Keith Jackson and just, you know, all these icons and Charlie Jones and Chris Schenkel and Jim, you know, McKay and so forth. I mean, these are icons in the game and Howard Cosell and, um, you know, broadcasting. I've just fallen into that business, but it's enabled me to stay close to the game. And, um, you know, Donnie talking to a lot of his guys that he played with and so forth that, uh, his marriage was not good for a long, long time and finally got divorced. And, but Donnie asked me to marry him a lot of, lot of times. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, no. And I'm thinking like, you know, hit me upside the head, get it straight. And so um, he got uh, divorced in 84 and I was broadcasting the Olympics in 84. And, uh, but we didn't get married till 86, but um, you know, we've got three beautiful children, DJ, who's Don Jr. Born on his birthday, which they just had July 23rd. And um, and then Darren and then our daughter, Drew. Yeah, as you said, married in 86, three beautiful children. Um, and, and I'm sure it was, uh, especially for the media then, Southern California, um, a fairy tale of sorts. I mean, you hear you have this good looking, handsome, terrific major league baseball pitcher. You get married and we talk about all these first, you become the first married couple to be in the respective hall of fame. I mean, just, just another step for you 
that, uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure, again, 11-year-old Ann Myers Drysdale, <laughs> Ann Myers, couldn't have ever fathomed. No, no. I, I, I don't know where this journey is still going, you know. Um, it, I'm happy where I'm at, but, you know, that could change in a second. And, uh, and you just roll with the punches. Um, you know, after Donnie passed away in 93, the boys were five and three, which is ironic because that was Don's number. And our daughter, Drew, was three months. Um, we were, as a matter of fact, in Manhattan Beach. His daughter from his first marriage uh, was her birthday around that time. And uh, so, um, you know, even though the boys were little and, and Drew was only three months, it just, you know, growing up without their dad, you know, what do they believe? What people have told them, what they've seen on TV. And um, Darren, at three years old, really doesn't remember his dad. Right. He remembers specs about him. But certainly things that, you know, is that did he re really remember or is it because of how many people talked about their father? And uh, I think it was tough on all three of them. I think that they've gone through a lot of issues because of expectations of others, who their father was and who their mother is. Um, a lot of intimidation by people um, because of who I am. And, and I think to myself, if Don was around, uh, they may have been intimidated, but they would have probably been more forgiving to their children, I think, um, sure. in, in uh, trying to be a mentor to them, which, um, you know, it's all life lessons, good and bad. Who did you, uh, outside of your family, who, who did you lean on, Annie, during a time? I mean, it, it, it's one thing to lose a spouse, but to lose a spouse with three young children like that and all of a sudden you're you're not only mom but your mom dad the breadwinner who did you lean on and what were some of the the principles that you hung on to to get you through that because i can't imagine that it was a period that was short and it's still going on um right it's you know so many people have been so supportive uh, all the people of the Dodger organization, uh, the people that played with Don, his friends, have all been supportive or broadcasters. Um, but it does, it goes back to my mom and my sisters and my brothers. Uh, I don't know where I'd be without them. They helped raise the kids. Uh, I knew that I had to work. And I was offered a lot of jobs as a general manager, as a coach, uh, when the WNBA started. Uh, I was working for ESPN at the time when the uh, league started NBC. I worked for them for six years. Uh, but it was, I chose broadcasting because I could control uh, what games I did and didn't do. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf, with Don had worked for the White Sox for six years before he left to go work for the Dodgers. And um, Jerry offered me two years in a row to work, come back to Chicago and, and work the Bulls games with, you know, Jordan in those years, which would have been phenomenal, but you're talking a hundred games and, and we know the business uh, being on the road or being there for a home game and the, your preparation and so forth. I just, with the my children being so young, I, I couldn't leave them like that. Right. And uh, so, you know, I made choices with my career that um, as, as wonderful as things have been, uh, you wonder what it would have been like if I had chosen some other career moves over my children, which I never was going to do. And I know that my career here too has suffered in a lot of different ways because, you know, you, you know, for me, um, they're always going to come first. Right. 
Right. But it, it, it speaks again. We talk about all these lessons that that are gleaned from competing in sports. And, but just another example of how sports creates a thread and those threads connect you to so many other people. So in, in many respects, it was almost like your sports family, sports family, basketball family, baseball family. You know, UCLA, as they say, take, takes a village. Yeah, and UCLA really helped develop who I am today. Uh, just talking about excellence and uh, being around people like a John Wooden and a Billy Moore and, and so many others there, but uh, the teammates that I had, but the excellence and in the Dodger organization, Tommy Lasorda just and Peter O'Malley took me under their wing. And even now the Dodger organization, you know, invites me to a lot of different events and, and keeps Don's name alive. And, uh, you know, the high school that I went to and just the people I've met through USA basketball and the Olympics and um, just through the organizations working for the Phoenix Suns and Mercury. And, and I work for the LA Sparks and uh, uh, the people that I know in LA and, and growing up there and the, all the broadcasters there how supportive that they, they've been writers. Um, you know, it, it just, I, I've just been so lucky with all the different people that I've met. Um, and they've all been supportive and some have not been supportive, which has been good because it kind of puts me back in place and I have to re, rethink things and, uh, you know, how can I be better in, in doing things when, when you get constructive criticism. Well, you, you, you mentioned early on having to pass up opportunities to, to jump into the WNBA, which is still early stages, but you finally got that shot. You come to Phoenix and ultimately help capture a couple of titles. What, what, what did those accomplishments mean to you, especially for someone who had accomplished so much, but to see it not only individually, but maybe more so for the, the, the female sports industry, uh, women's basketball in general, and, and maybe what that would mean for the future. Well, and thank goodness you were there announcing the games because <laughs> you've seen it from day one. And uh, and I saw the organization in 97 when I was doing the broadcast uh, for NBC, and who I think is a wonderful company, and they've been also very supportive. But, um, you know, seeing that first game with Cheryl Miller coaching and Jennifer Gillum and Michelle Timms, and, you know, they beat Charlotte and, and <clears throat> Errol's on the table cheering and their hands are up in the air and everything. And uh, she brought such an excitement to Phoenix. And then, um, you know, to be able to see where this league has gone and then come 10 years later in 2007 to come to this league and, and work with Jay Perry and Amber Cox and, uh, and that group there, because it was funny, because being here in Phoenix with the X Factor, who are so supportive, um, and they said, well, you've never been a general manager. You don't know what you're doing and so forth. But I'm thinking, I had enough confidence, and I felt this way when I tried out with the Pacers. I had enough confidence in my ability and understanding the game and knowing the game. Uh, even though I'd never been a general manager, I was going to get help from different people that I knew um, that helped me along the way. Uh, Dick Heckman was instrumental. Uh, Lou Holtz, uh, just, you know, just that support system and, uh, and them understanding. And, and so it's like I have confidence in understanding talent. And so when we got the number one pick in the draft, it's like we were all so excited. But Paul at Westhead, he had already developed a great system here. And he right. had all the pieces that he needed except one. And uh, he had a great point guard in Kelly Miller. And even though point guard coming out of Duke, Lindsey um, Harding, was player of the year, I think. And, and uh, But we didn't need her in that position. 
So we made the trade. Charlotte was uh, folding in, in, in the expansion draft. And, and so Tangela Smith, who I'd seen play at Iowa, and she was perfect for the system that Paul wanted. And uh, Tangela Smith was a key for us winning those championships with yeah. Diana, Penny, and, and Cappy Pondexter, who were just tremendous, the three of them. And uh, But Tangela was the missing piece, and Kelly was so steady at the point guard position. But, you know, to win the championship, I, I walked into it because Seth Selka, you know, he's the one that put the team together, not me. And uh, But Paul is the one that, that ran it. And, uh, and then when he left, Corey Gaines took over, ran the same system, and, um, you know, we won our second championship. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that more coaches don't run what they run. And right. You have, to have the, you have to know how to run it, but you have to have the personnel. But, you know, to be a part of that and uh, to know, because when I made that trade, the number one pick that we finally got as an organization, oh, my goodness, the, the X Factor wanted to hang me. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing and so forth. And I just like, hey, you may not like what I did, but I, I feel confident about it. And Paul proved everybody wrong, and so did those players. And uh, and certainly when uh, Amber selected Sandy Brandello as the coach in, in 2014, you know, the same thing happened. We had uh, BG. Uh, Penny was still on the team, but we had Gawana Bonner and, and Candace Dupree, which I, you know, was fortunate enough to still be general manager at that time to bring them in. And and, uh, and then they win another championship. So we're still on that road trying to get our fourth. The game continues to grow. Uh, the players just get better and better every single year. And I'm sure for you, so rewarding to see where it was 25 years ago to, to where it is now. And you've been a part of that ride and in many instances had a, a front row seat to it. So let's uh, let, let's move on. This is one of my favorite segments of the show, Annie. We, we call it the pay it forward segment because this provides an opportunity for our guests. If you've got a, a you know, a charity, a, a cause, an initiative that you would like to, to highlight and share for our listeners, for our viewers, uh, the platform is yours. Oh, goodness. I, you know, I've got hundreds, honestly. There's so many that I've been involved with, but you know, in 75, I think the first one I really got involved with was Special Olympics because Rayford Johnson, again, another role model and idol, um, was still at UCLA in 75. Uh, I got involved with Special Olympics because it was being, Southern California was being held there at uh, UCLA, and then it went to Long Beach. But I was always involved with Special Olympics. Uh, here in Phoenix, Elevate Phoenix uh, is a foundation that Tom Lehman started and uh, to raise money for inner city schools. And now we've got our program in not only the elementary, junior high, and high schools. Uh, it's a program that is actually a curriculum for Elevate Phoenix. Uh, Helping Hands that Eddie Johnson is involved with, but, you know, for single uh, single parents, single mothers. Right. Um, um, raising their families. And it was just an awesome uh, to see what these single women have done in raising their families and, and getting an education and degrees and how hard they've worked and so forth. But... Um, you know, there's so many that I, I'm kind of involved with. I, I'm still involved with UCLA in a lot of different ways. Heart Association, Don passed away of a heart attack. And so just involved with uh, doing some of those things. And, um, you know, it just goes on and on. Honestly, I don't know where it's top. <laughs> That's all right. That's why we call it Pay It Forward. So we'll, we'll make sure that we highlight some of those that are uh, near and dear to your heart. Well, listen, my friend, I am uh, looking forward, as I know a lot of Suns fans are, to the upcoming season. It's uh, It's been a thrill to ride along in the WNBA with you and, and now here in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns. So 
I feel like we could talk for another hour or two about all the, the stops along your journey. One of the great ambassadors for the beautiful game of the WNBA. My friend, it is always a privilege and most certainly always a pleasure. Thanks for your time today. Hey, Ray, you're my first. <laughs> All right, Ann Myers Drysdale, Hall of Famer and special guest here on Breakthrough Chronicles.